We lose ourselves in things we love. We find ourselves there too. What a great quote by Kristen Martz. Welcome to Heal, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. next episode of Heal. I'm so excited that I have a special guest here all the way from California. Are you in California? I am in Oregon, actually. But <laughs> oh I my God, that's up. even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> that's even cooler. I've got some great guests from so many places. So our guest today is Julia Phoenix. She is a relationship coach. She's also a speaker. Um, and she also has come out of the other on the other side of abuse and addiction. So I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here too. Please tell me I just said your name. It's Julia Phoenix. I don't even know if I said your name. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, Julia, well, Brittany's not here as people probably can hear. So she sends her hellos. She always is bummed out when she can't um, interview with me. So she says, hello, and so sorry she couldn't make it. Hey, <laughs> She'd love to hear that. Um, I'll tell her you said hi, too. Yeah, um, yeah. But tell us, tell us everything. How, wh- where did your life start? What, what, what happened? Oh, my goodness. I know. It's like such a big loaded question. But um, I mean, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit used to it at this point, just trying to nutshell everything, which can be difficult, but I did grow up in California, which is probably why you thought I was from there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I lived there for 31 years. So I grew up in Palo Alto, actually, like uh, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right in the middle of kind of the dot-com boom and, you know, the nineties and everything. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty wealthy, Um, upper middle class type of an area and on the outside it really looked like I kind of had the perfect childhood going on you know it was Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I have uh, really good schools that my my two brothers and I went to two parents at home two cars in the garage you know Um, a lot of resources in a in a in a physical sense and I do feel gratitude for for that element of my upbringing Um, but there was a lot of hidden, uh, hidden abuse and things that just kind of went on behind closed doors that Mm -hmm. people didn't know about and people didn't talk about. So that was part of probably the biggest pain of, of the majority of my, uh, my early life was not, not even as much the horrific things that happened as it was the fact that no one saw and you couldn't talk about it. And everyone hear this, like, you know, really lucky, um, cute little blonde girl from Palo Alto, right? Right. So there's this disconnect between the image that's presented and what's really going on. So um, my father was sexually abusive towards me beginning at the age of two, and my family was involved in a spiritual cult. So they were very heavily involved in this, this organization. And, you know, this particular organization, um, was rather abusive and dark, you know, mm-hmm. so there were, were those elements in my early childhood as well. And, and just a lot of gaslighting around what was actually happening. You know, we were mm-hmm. fed this story of, 
you know, we're, we're this perfect family and um, we all love each other so much. And we're so lucky to be a part of this beautiful spiritual path together. And the reality was, you know, obviously something much darker. There was, there was a lot of hidden abuse going on, psychological, sexual, physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mother was, um, my mother was very depressed and, you know, emotionally unwell, had not dealt with her traumatic past. My father was an extreme covert narcissist. Uh, and, and our family was very divided. So I had no closeness with my brothers either. It was kind of like that every man for themselves type of a thing. Yeah, like, it's almost I, like you're just in survival mode at that time. And you're just a child. So you really don't know any difference. You know, like you don't know any difference. This is the way life is. Exactly, exactly. And so you just do your best to survive and cope in the ways that you find work for you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and each child is going to adapt and cope differently in those types of situations, right? So my brothers adapted and coped in a different way than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what ended up happening for me um, somewhere along the line is uh, I did get addicted to, to drugs pretty young. I, I developed an eating disorder. That was actually probably my first um, I would say really self-destructive coping mechanism. Uh, I had anorexia and bulimia for, you know, a couple of decades. Um, was it bad. a matter? Was it a matter of like being able to control a situation and and like how you know I it, being able to control that and not anything else in your world? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a huge element of that condition for me. It was also attempting to process something through the body mm-hmm. that couldn't be processed directly. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like I was acting out, um, especially when it comes to bulimia. What I see with women with bulimia a lot is an intense pattern of gaslighting and suppression on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're swallowing our truths. We're swallowing what happens to us. We're swallowing our negative emotion because it's not okay. And we don't get to have it. It's not allowed. It's not valid. And so what we do is we stuff it and then we express it mm-hmm. by throwing up. I mean, right. I hope it's too graphic for, for some of your listeners. I mean, I'm just okay. diving right in here. You should <laughs> dive right in. Uh, you should. This is about life. We, we've had many yeah. different topics on here and this one yeah. is not extreme. This sadly Sadly, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's unfortunately it's much more common than uh, than mm-hmm. it should be. And this so is why we have to talk about it. And you know, brave souls who are ready to speak about it. Um, yeah. I think it's important to to have more people like you on. Yeah, thank you so much, and and thank you for the opportunity. You know, to do oh, that. Thank you. <laughs> many years, many many years that I did not think that it was possible for me to get out of that type of a cycle of self abuse. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it wasn't just the bulimia, which was this very extreme way that I was sort of acting out my own sense of um, violence and rage. Uh, but also, you know, I was self injuring. I was, um, you know, kind of took on the the role of you know family systems theory. It was like the scapegoat role. Mm-hmm. Uh, identified patient it's like there's something wrong with Julia like and this benefits a family system when you can point at someone and say they're dysfunctional and it puts others in the family in a position of being able to be seen as a good person because we're now going to take care of poor sick Julia who has a problem rather than looking at the dysfunctional environment that she grew up in and the abuse that caused this so, so it's almost as if you're um 
does, is it a disease considered a disease? Your uh, disorder, disorder. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if you're a disorder. They, um, I don't know what the right word is here, but like a, saving grace for them so they could say well let's help her did they bury uh, it under yeah. the rug did no, no, they... no, yes it was, it was yeah. a benefit to them on a subconscious yeah. level least. i'm not saying this was something that they thought out but right. but this is what happens just in a family system when mm-hmm. um when we need that's why it's called a scapegoat like we need someone to kind of pass all the problems off on right. and then it's like we, we need to feed our own sense of self um, by seeing ourselves as a good person. So we have to, you know, we have to kind of, uh, deflect any responsibility and, um, and put ourselves in that position where we're helping, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think I might've lost you for a moment. Here. I can hear you. I don't know if you can hear me, but I can hear oh, you just fine. So it's okay. You are there. Essentially, we're, talking, we're talking about being the scapegoat for your family and how, they were almost using you in a sense, maybe. Yeah, I mean, everyone, like in a, in a dysfunctional family system, like everyone plays their role, right? Like, so being in the position that my older brother was as the golden child, I'm not gonna say that was also not extremely painful because mm-hmm. if you're in a position of being the, the golden child, you're essentially the family mascot, you know? Not only and that, you, but that's an awful lot of pressure too. So it's every- a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. You're not allowed to fail. It's a mm-hmm. lot of inauthenticity that's required of you to, to be kind of their, the little doll. Not only know, that, but always trying to fix the things perform. that may be perceived as wrong, covering exactly. up things that exactly. you, know, you might not, don't want anyone to find out. Oh boy, that's exactly. a lot of pressure too. 100%. Yes, yeah. exactly. And the lost child, you know, is also a really, really painful role. That's, that's, that's a, a kid that experiences a severe emotional like deficit in terms of care and focus and attention and a child that you know is going to really fail to thrive in some ways because of that lack of connection needs being met and mm-hmm. you know uh you know uh difficulty developing self-identity as well mm-hmm. so it's it's all you know it's it's all pretty dysfunctional right but everybody kind of plays their role and, and that's how we function that's how we kind of um, we kind of, yeah, just live. So I played my part and I, um, I really acted it out. I really went full deep into just full board, like self-destruction. So that wound me up at like, wound me up. I don't, I don't know if that's (laughs) the best, but it, that, that put me at, at 23 years old with a, um, a heroin addiction and type one diabetes too. So I'm in and out of the hospital frequent, frequently. Um, my early twenties, I, I tried to kill myself three times. Oh, no. I totaled, totaled multiple cars. I think probably yeah. three cars in that time period. It, it was, you know, a shit show to say the least. Right. So what really, really shifted things for me was when I went into rehab, when I was 23 years old and I got sober because I really got that, you know, the path that I was on, I, where I was headed, you know, that I was actually going to die, that I was slowly killing myself. And I was presented with a choice. I was at a choice point, like, do you want to commit to life and and to this new way of being not knowing what that's going to look like or, or, you know, anything about what that could entail. 
at 23 at this point where you're pretty much on your own or were you still in, um, attached to the family? My, I was attached to my family system at that point. My family had basically kicked me out to go to rehab. It was like, you can't be here anymore, you know, yeah. which I'm grateful to them that they did that. And I also want to say, I'm grateful that I was in a position at the time where, you know, my parents had good insurance and I had the, you know, I had, I had the, um, the means to right, right. retreat you know, because it really did save my life. It really saved my life, you know? So I, I was at this choice point there where I, I could either follow the direction that I was going down and I knew where that was going to lead, or I could kind of actually take responsibility for my life in a different way. I had also been in and out of treatment centers for um, anorexia and bulimia at that time. And, you know, I didn't want to be like one of those people that was in there that was in and out like a revolving door when they were 40 and, you know, 50. I wanted. It's unreal, though, at such a young age at 23, because I do feel like that's a very young age still. I know you're an adult. Oh, def no, definitely. It was <laughs> such a young yeah. age. You knew you wanted to change. You know, it seems it was like. Very young. I think, you know, I think in that way, like, it was a blessing that things went as far down as they did as quickly as they did, mm -hmm. you know, because I was actually like a lot of people at 23 people aren't on death's door, you know, mm -hmm. until there, a lot of people can go on with some of these behaviors for years and years and they don't necessarily like wind up in the hospital mm -hmm. regularly, you know, because of my health conditions, you know, because of the combination with the mm -hmm. eating disorder and the drug addiction, all of those things. Um, it was ser it was very serious. So it really, it really did put me in that position of life and death very young, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I'm grateful that I, I chose life. I, I really chose mm -hmm. at that point in time to commit to life and it was really challenging, you know? I oh, yeah. Tell me about the road to recover, the road in recovery. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to say like, I'm really thankful for, um, 12 step communities, Mm -hmm. that community and the access to those resources that I had, I believe saved my life in the long term. because the thing, one of the reasons why I'm actually a relationship coach and I specialize on helping people to connect with other people and form good relationships is because addiction thrives in isolation. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and you can feel isolated even when you're surrounded by people. I'm a perfect Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you're just surrounded by the wrong people. Exactly. And, and we don't know how to connect to let our true selves be seen. We don't know how to receive support. Um, and there's so much shame as well surrounding addiction and eating disorders, so much mm -hmm. secrecy that we feel we're really hidden and we're in kind of this separate reality bubble and everybody else is out here and we're just looking, looking at them through the glass type of a thing. It's so painfully lonely. So recovery required me to break through that bubble. It required me to reach out to people and ask for support because literally I didn't have options. Like I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have like skills a lot, a lot of them. It was, I, I didn't know how to do life. I needed help. And these people that I became connected to, like my sponsor and some of my recovery friends and people in the recovery community showed up for me. They would come and pick me up for a meeting. They took me to go um, to job interviews and to see different places and, you know, sign a lease. Like, so I ended up renting a mobile home, like a, a room in a mobile home and a mobile home park in, in Sunnyvale. 
um, which is a little town in, in that area, the Bay Area in California. And I got a job as a preschool teacher. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, because I had studied child development in college, uh-huh. um, which I never finished, but I was able to utilize those credits. And, um, and it was beautiful, like those kids, like having that to go to every day gave me, um, gave me some joy and some structure. Yeah, uh, you know, but but it was also it was also quite hard because I had all of that unprocessed trauma just living inside of my body and the coping mechanisms that I had had to numb myself from it weren't there anymore in the same way. Mm-hmm. I will say that my eating disorder persisted much mm-hmm. longer than my drug addiction did. I had off and on recovery. It was um, that that was very, very spotty to me for me until I was about um 25, I went in again for treatment for my eating disorder, uh, for bulimia this time, a beautiful treatment center in San Francisco called New Dawn. Mm -hmm. And that was another huge turning point for me. Um, It was a really safe environment, all women, uh, really beautiful staff and very focused more towards like the emotional element of healing, um, very much geared towards addressing trauma And when I was in that space, not only did I learn a little bit more about how to love myself and have compassion for myself, which is more of what my eating disorder recovery required, by the way, the drug addiction is like, you're going to die. You need to like, get it. You know what I mean? Like there's right. I think we're more willing to work on the, you're going to die if you don't stop that than we are to work on the, oh God, I have to go deep and I have to feel that stuff. No, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. And, and those of us who are already sort of geared towards self-deprecation, there's this way in which we can be like, yes, I just have to be harder on myself and do the disciplined action. I'm going to go to a meeting every day, like this kind of hard energy. Right. And it was Mm -hmm. what I needed at the time, but my eating disorder didn't need that energy. My eating disorder needed like softness and needed compassion and oh my God, all of the things that you never really got so you didn't know how to give it to yourself true yeah you weren't taught that yet yes and and willingness to feel deeply that was the biggest thing that shifted things with regard to my eating disorder it, it was like needing to feel those things and, and I think having that experience of being in treatment where I was surrounded by support to feel those emotions for the first time a lot of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um was 100% what I needed in order to trust myself and trust my body that, you know what, I can actually feel some of these things. I can begin to process some of these things, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was really where some of those memories came up and I began to process layers. Um, you know, I also experienced what, what you could call like compounded traumas or secondary traumas. There were things that mm-hmm. happened when, as I grew up, you know, 10 years old, I was abused by a male school teacher And then throughout my teens, there was a few different rape experiences. I was date raped when I was 21. And that was really what, um, really what accelerated my heroin addiction, my drug addiction Mm -hmm. was, Mm -hmm. it was big catalyst for that. So those things I sort of started to actually unpack first, if that makes sense. It was like, I I, kind of went back along the timeline. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the proper quote proper way to do it is but I feel like whatever (laughs) works you know but yeah you have to I feel like you almost have to do it chronologically so you can I don't want to say heal but you know process move to the next and like you said layers and layers and layers 
there are those layers and, and the family stuff, the really core stuff is the deepest. I feel like it is so much because those are the people who are supposed to love you unconditionally and not harm you. They're supposed to protect you and not hurt you. You're supposed to trust and love them and they're supposed to do the same with you. And it's almost as if, yeah, it just hits and hurts the deepest and it stays for a long time. Yes, it does. And, And also, you know, with my background in child development, which I did end up actually going back and going to school and getting a degree. Actually, I I finished my bachelor's. I got a master's degree in the subject as well. Um, so really understanding just the way that the human system works and the way the human brain works, how trauma impacts a -hmm. child of that age, you know, Mm -hmm. when your system is developing, that really is the root, that really is the core. And that is why I focus a lot on inner child work with, uh, with my clients now, uh, and, and inner child work, finding inner child work was another massive turning point for me uh, mm-hmm. after I got out of residential treatment for my eating disorder. It took maybe a couple of years. I had a real, real challenging romantic relationship, fresh out of my um, eating disorder rehab experience. Mm-hmm. And um, that really put me on the course to understanding on a deeper level, like why am I behaving like this? Why am I feeling like this around my relationships, you know, around my attack to people and that, I mean, a lot of women and just people with trauma will relate to this. And maybe your, your listeners can relate as well. You don't have to have trauma like mine to be in a situation in a relationship where you suddenly react to something and it seems really inappropriate or really big. And yeah. Right. Wondering. Right why am I doing that? Or you may, might even feel like in a moment you go back to being like three years old with somebody and, and you don't understand like why you respond the ways that you do, why you go the places that you do, why you freeze up and can't talk or where, why you get so mad, you throw something and you've never done that before. Mm-hmm. It's because those relationships, I believe really activate our deepest mm-hmm. wounds. They're also our, our biggest catalyst for expansion. The right. biggest potential for healing. That's right. But we have to look at it that way and understand it. And we also have to have a trusted someone in our lives that we can rely yes. on to help us see that, you know? Yes. Yes. And I think that's, that's, that's where you come in as a relationship coach, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yes. so, oh, so good at doing little segues. <laughs> I love it. I love the way you work. Well, listen, I'm going to, we're going to quickly take a quick, quick, quick break because I feel like this is a great time to stop because we're, ta- we've talked sure. about all of the crap that you've been through. And now I want to come back on the other end of the break and just talk about how you ended up where you are now. Like what steps did you take and when did you start being a relationship coach? Like just a little bit more in depth with that. And I'd love to hear more about your transformational healing. Yeah. I want to know what that is too. So we'll be back in two seconds. Just take a quick little break. And we're back from the break. We're here with Julia. I keep saying we, like Brittany's here. I'm here with Julia Mm -hmm. next. And she was just about to tell me or us, me and our listeners, um, all about how she became a relationship coach. And I also really want to hear about her transformational healing, um, what that means. Yeah. So so you ended up um, in your mid-20s now you had gone through your um, eating disorder rehab and you had come out and said you had 
jumped into a relationship. Is that when that happened that you started realizing? Well, I started to, you know, I was in therapy. Inner child work. Yeah, you're doing some inner I was in therapy at the time because Mm -hmm. I, uh, because of my experiences in treatment, I I really realized how important that was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were a few, a few experiences that I had of a little bit of inner child work and therapy, but the the man who really um, helped me to develop a deep relationship with my inner child in a way that catalyzed not only my personal healing, but my career in a massive way as a man by the name of Mel Brand, who actually um, unfortunately passed away uh, at the end of last year, at the end of 2020, Um, but beautiful, beautiful man. And he and his wife, uh, Nicole, had a a business called the Gold Ray Twin Flames, and they counseled couples and individuals. And he, he um, he did a lot of work to help people who were in very painful relationship situations mm-hmm. um, because he saw how these relationship um, contracts, so to speak, that people mm-hmm. sort of have with one another on a soul level um, were meant for healing and expansion and doing this work that was going to benefit not only the individual, but the collective, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, I did some work with him, some private work, some one-on-one sessions where he really helped me to um, connect with and feel my inner child more through my heart, through my body, through my emotions, how to talk to her lovingly, how mm-hmm. to show up for her and, and take her on adventures to the park, mm-hmm. how to hold space for her when she needed to cry, how to meet her needs and treat mm-hmm. her the same way that I was treating the kids that I was. Uh, yeah, that it, I was sounds, it sounds so I, familiar. <laughs> it was pretty perfect, right? Professional layer didn't come in until I I actually started to follow a woman named Teal Swan, who is still very popular on YouTube today. And she has like 800,000 followers on YouTube. She's uh, a spiritual teacher and a, um, a leader of personal transformation. And she herself is a survivor of um, 13 years of ritual abuse and uh, just horrific stories of what she's been through. But also because of many of her um, extrasensory gifts, her spiritual gifts, she was able to develop certain processes that helped her to heal from her trauma and PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of these are inner child work processes. And Mm -hmm. um, one, which she actually wrote a book about, is a process called the completion process that has to do with going back in time to resolve uh, traumatic memories. So and involves, that's, the, that's the name of her book, The Completion Process? Yes, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm so, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. So it's a I'm just writing book. it down. I, I always take notes. Go ahead. Yes. No, I love that. You should definitely <laughs> check it out. It, it, oh. de- it definitely changed my life learning that process. Um, I went to a training that she did back in 2015 when she first developed the process. She hadn't written the book yet. So we actually got the manuscript. I was one of the first people that was trained to facilitate this healing process. And, and mostly I went because I was using it on myself. Yep. You know, I think that's and how we all start. We learn because we know we need it. And then we are like, you know what, this has really helped me so much that I feel like, I feel like I need to tell everyone uh, about this. <laughs> exactly. And it just sort of happened, right? I didn't expect to be accepted. I just like filled out an application. I was like, whatever happens, that's cool. It would be great to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was accepted. And, and then afterwards, you know, 
from a business perspective, looking at it now, I was incredibly blessed because there were so few facilitators at the time of this process. And she had such a big following and she had our, our names and our contacts and our, you know, our, our special focuses and stuff just up on the website. So I just, I didn't have to do any marketing really or anything. Yeah. I just, like I got emails from people saying, Hey, can you help me? And I started out just charging a little, little bit, you know, cause I didn't <laughs> myself at all. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do like 30 bucks or something. Like I'm sitting with you. I'm doing a process with you for like an hour and a half, but I loved the work so much. I was so passionate about it. I would have done it for free. Right. That's, that's probably how anyone um, who really loves what they're doing feels. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I just started to grow it. I started to gain more confidence. I started to um, charge more to, to buy, you know, I threw up a website on Wix. At first I did everything on my own. And then when things started to grow, I started to get help. And then I started to just expand, do workshops. Um, I found that regardless of you know, because for the first couple of years, relationship wasn't necessarily my focus. But I found that the majority of people who were coming to me, that was their biggest pain point. And I had a relationship that was um, thriving at the time and that I still have. Uh, I, I should have mentioned this actually in my story. I mentioned it with regard to the 12-step community, but I also met a lot of people during that time in my life when I was doing this inner child work who um, were basically what you could just say, like the opposite of my upbringing. Like they were open, they were authentic, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. were uh, caring, they wanted to hear and feel and see and know my experience and my truth. And I healed a lot just through connection and intimacy with a group of friends. And then through um, this connection with my partner who came into my life. And I believe very strongly that a lot of this inner work that I was doing, particularly the inner child work, the commitment to staying with myself, really being with myself. I feel that's what led me to these people and led them mm -hmm. to me. Um, and so I felt I, I knew how to help people with relationships. I knew what it required. I also trained in it. You know, my, my master's degree was actually in um, rather than child development, human development specifically, which means I was also looking at adult patterns of relating and took, you know, a couple of master's levels courses on things like communication and things like mm -hmm. that. So I had a lot of tools and I had the background and I had the experience. And this is what people were coming to me for. You know, mm -hmm. I found that even addictions, right? Whether it was well, anything. I feel like I feel like you're called a relationship coach, but I don't know. I mean, I don't when I hear that word and maybe others think differently, but I don't think of like a partner relationship. I always go right to like the relationship I have with myself, the relationship I have with the food, the relationship right. I have with exactly. the, you know exactly. what I mean? I, yeah. So when I and say so you're a relationship coach, but you cover all of that. It really, right? It's not just yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because okay. all of life, I mean, that's what I really got was that yeah. all of life literally is relationship. And if you boil any problem down on a societal level or on an individual level, I really don't care what it is. You're looking at a relationship of some kind. Mm -hmm. That's what this whole experience we're living in is about, right? And I don't know how, are your listeners like kind of, do you talk about spiritual concepts at all? Are you or, kidding? Uh, do you know what I do? There? Okay. <laughs> what do you do? Well, 
you know that I'm a teacher because we briefly talked about right. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm a Reiki master teacher, a meditation oh. teacher, and um, yeah, I do a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, um, okay. I have my own little business and we talk about all of this stuff. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So I can speak freely then here. Oh God, yeah. Stuff down. Like, Don't worry, yeah. you're not cuckoo. We, you know. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. We so, all get it. We all get it. <laughs> that's great. Okay, so so essentially, like that's what the physical dimension is. It is this experience where we are splitting consciousness into separate parts, and that happens on a macrocosm level in a sense of like you know, we're different countries and we're different mm -hmm. where, you know, it happens in, on this level where it's like, there's me, Julia, and there's you, Elizabeth. It also happens internally within our relationships to parts of ourselves. It's, it's kind of this, um, yeah, this like fractal experience of just these points of perspective mm -hmm. relating to one another in some mm -hmm. kind of way. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately the ways in which these points of perspective, um, dominantly choose to relate to one another happen to be kind of dysfunctional at this time on planet earth. That's the way I kind of see things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, it's the relationship. If, if you're, if you're dealing with an issue with food, it's going to look like the relationship to your body, the relationship to food itself, your relationship to pleasure, but it's also going to be your relationship to, you know, the people in your life at an early time who programmed you um, with regard to your emotional needs, mm -hmm. with regard to your beliefs and thoughts and feelings about yourself. Um, so it's, it's, it all comes, it all comes back to that, you know, That's so right. once you learn these skills and these tools with how to relate in a functional way, which is actually a lot about just honesty, compassion, presence, being willing to sit with dysfunction, uh, dis, uh, sorry, not dysfunction, discomfort. Discomfort, yeah. People don't, don't necessarily want to do, nope. but to sit with that long enough for, um, for things to shift, for things to, to be resolved um, and to be committed to creating that resolve. There has to be like a deep inner commitment to these points of perspective coming together in some kind of harmony. Mm -hmm. And that when you, when you work with that within yourself, it's much easier to work with that externally. I think you have to do it within yourself or you will never be able to do it externally. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. However, I will also say that the external relationships are very important catalysts sometimes for, um, for learning mm -hmm. about how we need to relate to ourselves and also sometimes when we don't know like you said like I didn't know when I was younger um, how to relate to myself at all or how to relate to the world in ways that were fun. how would I not have known you know what I right. mean right we often need other people to show us you know so right yeah you're right it is the outward the relationships you have with others really if you choose to allow yourself to see um, those relationships as okay so I think I just lost my train of thought <laughs> but yeah you're right the relationships that you have with other people if you're open and aware and awake to it you start to notice that this is wrong this doesn't feel right and it is it is the, uh, the relationship they have with others that makes you then to turn in and say why why wasn't that 
Why am I continuing to do this? Why am I in this relationship again, but with a different person? And that's when you can, yeah, that's when you can turn in and just say, okay, let's go. (laughs) Let's start. Most people's, that's, you know, most people's, I think, story with, with, you know, when, when they get into deeper healing work around their relationship patterns and issues with their family and stuff like that. But also I want to say that really external relationships can catalyze us in a positive way because, you know, we're truly all reflections of different aspects of ourselves. So when I've had experiences, like for example, being in eating disorder treatment, and in fact, I remember my very first intake um, appointment where I just was talking to someone about going in and I was, I can't remember what I was saying, but I was being really, really hard on myself, which was Mm -hmm. just the norm for me. And just kind of talking about, yeah, like, I don't know what the frick I'm doing. Like I'm Mm -hmm. messing up. And I think I was talking about my history and I was like, I know it's a lot. Right. And she just looked at me with so much compassion in her eyes and made me cry. She said, I'm so sorry. You haven't gotten the help you need. And yeah, I, which which means this is not your fault. This which, is not your, you know what I mean? Like it takes a lot off of you. And that was her orientation. It was just, yeah. it was natural for her to say that because she didn't see me in the ways that I was seeing myself. But it was this external reflection of like, oh my God, you mean maybe I'm 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 not to blame for everything bad in my life. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not about me just being, you know, messed up. Mm-hmm. Because I've gotten the opposite reflection my whole life, right? But she was reflecting this part of me deep down inside that knew that that was the truth, right? I needed to get it though from an outside source, mm-hmm. and able to in order to be able to feel and connect with that part of me mm-hmm. that knew that truth, right? So, so I mean, po- for positive or for negative, for better or for worse, like relationships reflect that inner reality to us and give us the opportunities to um to integrate those parts of self that that we have on a deeper level right right so after this recovery and um then you started learning from both teal swan and the gentleman i'm sorry i didn't write his name down his wife yeah it was mel brand mel brand thanks um after you had worked with them and you started and you went back to school and now you're now this um relationship coach so you yeah. are able to take clients um, that may need help with their, uh, you specialize in inner child work, right? I do. I specialize in, in healing developmental trauma and early childhood wounds that affect uh, relationship patterns. Um, but I also teach a lot about um, boundaries, uh, communication. Boy, I know so many people who would really benefit from So yeah. I love, I love to sit down with, with couples with those two points of perspective and, and help them to find understanding and harmony within each other, which, you know, not, you know, not surprisingly often involves um, really seeing the aspects of themselves that are being reflected by the other party, right. you know, and working with those in a, in a different way. Um, but, but in, in addition, so it's kind of like a, an approach where um, it's both inner work that's very individual and outer work that's very much like how do we practically apply this in a way where we can grow and develop and sustain functional healthy relationships in a way where we can heal together and that requires a lot of 
communication, mm-hmm. um, conflict resolution skills, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. A lot of intentionality. Have you written a book yet? Not yet, but I mean, I have been told I should. Hello. It's on the horizon. <laughs> Get going, girl. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That I just so think it's fat. It just would. Ha- I mean, you know, you may not be able to. Maybe people can't hire you, but they can get some expertise from your knowledge. I mean, they can get some healing from your knowledge and your expertise through something written like that. That would be fabulous. Yes, it's a goal of mine, one hundred percent. Oh, good. Then it'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, tell me what a um, transformational. I keep looking at my notes. A transformational yeah. healer is. Does that have anything to do with energy or? Yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, a lot of the work that I do, I don't do a lot of direct energy work with people, although I, I do sometimes in sessions, you know, especially for going back and we're resolving traumas. I'll, I'll do more so sometimes just like things like cord removal and mm-hmm. that, that type of thing. Um, and I've been known to work with occasionally like entities that are attached to specific traumatic memories and things like that. So I do that, that type of work sometimes it's very intuitive, but I think that healing on an emotional level um, and on a mental level on any of the different levels, physical, spiritual, I think that's all energetic mm-hmm. also. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, that's the long answer, but the short answer is yes. And so more or less, more or less, it's part of your coach. It's part of your coaching. Um, it's just yeah. one, like maybe one yeah. spoke of your coaching wheel is if necessary, you will work with cutting cords, any kind yeah. of karmic, um, karmic ancestral. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ancestral stuff. I do a lot of work with that because a lot of these patterns, these relational patterns, they're, they're down your line, man, like for a long time. So it's, it's, it's something I integrate into my work um, there. But it's funny you ask this question because I've been thinking a little bit about just the word transformation and the process of transformation itself. Obviously I've chosen the last name uh, Phoenix. Yes. Um, to, by professionally and personally. I mean, it, it's not legally changed yet, but that's just because I haven't put the energy into doing that. Um, because, you know, as I mentioned to you actually before we hopped on today, it, you know, it, my father's last name, I just, speaking of energetic cords, I just did not want that attached to me anymore. It was mm-hmm. just like, I just don't want that energetic attachment. So, um, so I chose this name because I resonate with that archetype of the Phoenix, this experience of being just burnt, you know, being through kind of this, um, gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. Through the fire. Yeah. 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 Some people could see that as a destruction process and then this experience of resurrection. Yeah, exactly. To reborn, to be. Yeah. yeah, So that's something that I, I feel a deep resonance with and that I can help people through. Um, But at the same time, what I've been thinking about is that I don't know as much if it's about transformation in a sense of becoming something different than what I am. Right. So it's funny you say that because you're not transforming into something different. You're no, you're coming back to who you are, who you were supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. I made a post about this actually the other day. Um, I said, I don't help women to love themselves. I help women to see themselves Mm -hmm. accurately, which will innately and organically result in love, (laughs) you know, 
see who we really are. And in order to see who we really are, we have to peel away those layers, the conditioning, the traumas, the beliefs that we hold. We have to develop a relationship to those aspects of ourselves that we've lost connection with that are closer to our divine essence, mm-hmm. you know, our inner children. That's mm-hmm. one way to do that. But really it's connecting with that core of ourselves that's been there through all of it, mm-hmm. but has never been allowed to be fully experienced and embodied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and very deep, very, very deep under a lot of stuff, you know, and just trying to uncover little bits and pieces. For most people. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's mm-hmm. fabulous. So how can people get in touch with you um, if they want to check you out? Your yeah. socials, your websites, or anything you have, I'm, I'm taking notes. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I would love to connect. So I'm always on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, Julia Phoenix on Facebook, and I love new Facebook friends. So you can check me out there. Um, I also have two uh, pretty poppin' Facebook groups. One is Julia's Inner Child Playground and Healing Community which is a long name. I'll send all this to you later if you want, so you don't have to write it down. That's okay. You uh, can send it to me, yeah. but I'm probably going to write it down too. <laughs> okay. The other is, uh, is a group called Love and Leadership Women Who Want It All. So that's for women. And I do uh, have a focus currently towards female uh, entrepreneurs and women who are career focused in general, not even necessarily entrepreneurs who um, are seeking deeper, stronger relationships in their lives um, and need help in that area. So these so, two groups are open to anyone who wants to be part to of anyone, the group? For the, actually, the, the, the love and leadership group is, is actually only for women. That's one right, that I'm really- Right, right. But they're not, it's not, um, they don't have to be your clients per se. To oh, no, no, no. Have no, access. No. Okay. No, anyone can hop on, check it out, check out the content, talk with people who are doing this type of transformative work, you know, who are mm-hmm. prioritizing healing through relationship. I think with, with, with regard to women and career, as I've stepped into this space of um, entrepreneurship and had a business and everything, you know, for me, having support from my partner and from my community has been so essential. And I've really seen how much that's lacking in a lot of other women that I've come in contact with who mm-hmm. are in this position, especially that are like solopreneurs that are doing this online business thing, coaching thing, especially women in, in that type of an area. I see that need for a greater foundation of support and connection. And there's this belief system that we're not allowed to have both when in reality, mm-hmm. I see them as absolutely necessary to coexist mm-hmm one another so that's kind of the focus of that group I love that I'll probably go join that in two seconds so yes I love that <laughs> I'll be there in a minute when we're all done <laughs> oh great I love it I love it yeah that's been a big passion of mine kind of more recently I even have a mastermind group called love and leadership for women who are career focused um, but who also want to experience more love and connection and support in their life and in their business and see how that can actually grow their business and grow their relationship to their finances and, you know, receive more as well. So, so that's huge. Um, but also outside of Facebook, you can find me on Instagram mm-hmm. at Julia Phoenix 11 and 11 is spelled out like the word, not like the number. Okay. So that's Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also find me at Julia Phoenix 11.com. And that's also spelled out. That's also spelled out. I have one social, which is TikTok, where it's the number. 
<laughs> because the I feel like the other one was taken or it was too long or something. Really? I'm going to go look. Oh. No, I'm not going to go look now, but I'm going to go find you everywhere. Yeah. I'm going to go just hunt you down everywhere now that I have. Oh, please do. <laughs> please do. So you see, like, um, all of a sudden you'll have this new follower everywhere and you'd be like what is happening it's the same. Oh, so <laughs> I'm just kidding it's just me <laughs> I'll be so happy to connect oh thanks thank you so much for coming on um is there anything else that you want to share uh that you would like people to know before I ask you my three questions oh yeah it was it just it was my pleasure I think like my my greatest message is just that you are worthy of love no matter what it is that you've been through and no matter what you are currently identified with in yep. terms of who you think that you are or what you think that you are you are Can you imagine um if everybody truly believed that what I, the world I, would be like world change overnight that's why I'm focused here I think the world would change overnight Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. So here are my three questions. Are you ready? Yes. So when you feel most peaceful, at peace, what is it that you're doing? At peace. Sleeping? Well, <laughs> <laughs> these no, days, I would, that would be my I'm answer. Like all the Just... time. That's, that's not. Sleep is like a full-time job for me. I'm like popping around. Oh, all I wish I would get fired from that job if it was a full-time <laughs> job. <sighs> no. Um, so, so I think it's actually, it's a tie for me. There's two, two things. So one is um, on the beach. I live in Bandon, which is a little coastal town on the, on the Oregon coast, tiny little town. I am in love with this physical location and we live a 15 minute walk from the beach. I have a very deep connection with the ocean and the rock formations there, um, it's like a Lemurian portal. And oh my goodness. Really powerful, yet also very soft and very expansive. And so I go out there every day and mm -hmm. is where I replenish and I'm nourished and also I'm kind of cleared even by the elements out there. So definitely when I'm on the beach, um, here in Bandon. And then the other is just when I'm curled up on the couch with my partner, Antoine, and I've got my head in his lap and we've got our two cats with us. And, you know, we could be watching TV or we could be just like chatting and snuggling, but that is like, Oh, that's my, it's like a life. nice, safe, secure. Oh, it's the safety. Yes. Feeling. It's like, yeah. I'm just wrapped in a bubble of safety. There's no no, like that is the place I want to be in the world. There's no other place I want to be. That's so nice. <laughs> and so here's my next question. Um, is yeah. there one self-help type book that you would recommend? Do you recommend something to your clients? Do you have a book that oh, you would gosh. want people to read? I mean, there's, there's a few that come to mind, but probably the completion process by Teal Swan, which I... Yeah which I already mentioned. Yeah, um, that's I, have that, I have that written down. I'm definitely going to check that out. I hope she's on Audible. I tend to listen to I books. She is. Good, good. Yeah, that would be my recommendation for books. Okay, my last question is, if money was not an object, what would you be doing? Probably something really similar to what I'm doing right now. However, yeah, I need to stop asking this question because typically that's what people say. Yeah, you have yeah. a lot of 
justice filled people on this show, but I'm going to be honest. I think that if, if I just had like, let's say somebody left me like a giant inheritance or something like that. And I, I didn't like have to do something to generate a lot of income. Um, I would take less one-on-one clients and I would do, I would like write my book. You know what I mean? Like I would focus on things that aren't going to make me immediate money, but are going to contribute to the world in a, in a broader way and, and, yeah. and really get my message out there. Well, so, it's, so- it's, it's definitely in the cards for you have to write a book. Thank you. Okay. Well, it's a no brainer. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think like that's what comes up for me when you when you offer this question is there is this kind of like, okay, there is a part of me that is is showing up to do what I've what I love. I love to do it, mm-hmm. but to 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 focus on it um more heavily than I would if if money wasn't an issue, because that's the money making that's the revenue making element of my expression in my career right now. Yeah. Right. So that's real. That's yeah, real. I that's read a book. Cool. I, I just go on podcasts all day long. And Wouldn't that be fun? Just talking all day. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun. Well, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you on my podcast. I'm so grateful that you were able to reschedule with me um, for today. Absolutely. And I hope that you get a few new followers after this episode airs. <laughs> yeah. I'd love for people to reach out if they just want to connect or join one of my groups. I'd love to, I love to meet, you know, meet new people. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a pretty cool person. Oh, <laughs> and maybe say. one element or many elements of your story will, they'll be able to resonate with. So, you know, we all, we, you probably feel the same way I do that things happen for a reason more, you know, I think things happen for a reason. So being able to hear a story like yours at the right time in the right moment, um, you know, I'm hoping that people will get something out of it and their story might not be the same as yours, but there could be something similar holding them back and just hearing how you um, came out on the other end and are now helping others is great. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too, Elizabeth. Thank you. It's been a total Thank you. And I will be back in just a second to wrap up this episode. And here I am. I am back, just came back to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more. We can't wait to see you next time. But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.